I like need to like refocus again, all right? So uh, welcome, man. I'm really glad to start this new sermon series with y'all and just excited about what I think God is gonna do in and through it. And so you ready? Good deal. Let's dive right in. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, some usher is going to be coming forward now. Uh, and if you would just like to raise your hand, uh, they would love to give you a Bible. If you would uh, like a physical copy of one. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can actually take, keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the word, be able to use it, read it during the week. So please feel free to take that home. Uh, you can also follow along on your smartphone. If you have the Version app underneath the events section, type in the Well Austin. You can follow along that way. Uh, or you could take that link right there, put it right into your browser. You can follow along that way as well. Uh, we say this every week because we mean it. Uh, in fact, it's one of the main things we want you to take away is that, man, we really believe that the Word of God has power. There's a life, there's authority, there's beauty, there's conviction, there's encouragement, there's a spurring on that happens when our eyes are in God's Word and He is speaking to our hearts. And so, man, we're repetitive at this point because we want you to, to have the Word, to see it, to hear it, and to read it. And so, uh, whatever way you can do that, feel free to do that this morning. All right? So, I want to spend the first couple of minutes uh, setting pace as to why we chose this sermon series called Unsung Heroes, the names you may not know, uh, and hopefully kind of give some insight into where we're going as a whole, okay? And so firstly, one of the goals of this series is actually to inspire every single one of us to see beyond the limitations that we often put on ourselves and the limitations that we often put on our God who dwells within us if we are believers, and to realize that God has actually called us towards something that is far more beautiful, far more magnificent, far more uh, grandiose than we often would think. However, oftentimes I believe that we think that we have to be like Abraham or Moses or Noah or Paul in order to do great things for God. However, uh, that is just not true. Uh, All throughout the scriptures, you see these uh, names you may not know, these unsung heroes that really do a great, great profound work for our king. And sometimes what feels to be the smallest thing actually ends up being one of the biggest impacts in the kingdom uh, at large. And so all of us have been called into something if we are indeed children of God. In fact, we just spent a ton of time in Ephesians and you know that, man, you have been saved by grace through faith. There is no work that you have done that has led to your salvation. In fact, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it uses that word work twice and says that we do not do any works. There is nothing that we can do uh, to be made more right with God or to enter into relationship with God. It is because of his work, what he has done in verse 8 and 9. However, then Ephesians 2.10, which will be on the screen, it says this, and you don't have to turn there, it's there, but it says, for we are God's workmanship, so we are his work, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so we see that, man, we're not doing any work, but we've been created in Christ Jesus for good work that actually he prepared before the foundation of the world that we may walk in them. And so there actually is then a responsibility for us to actually be walking out in the things that God has called us into, to be living out the true implications of the gospel. The whole book of Ephesians would over and over again tell us that we are to be a gospel-oriented people. In fact, that's one of our eight core convictions at the well, that we are gospel-oriented. If you go through covenant community, you'll hear the rest of them, but that's one of the first ones, right? We believe the gospel changes everything, that all uh, work that we do, do, all worship that we give, all of our thoughts, actions, our relationship, our our time spent, that it is all oriented around the gospel. It truly has an impact of our life. And part of the gospel is that, man, we have not been saved by our own efforts, but by the effort of our benevolent King Jesus. Amen. But then it says that after that salvation, we've been put into the family of God to do good works. 
In fact, James would go as far to say that faith without works is dead. And so if you have faith but you don't have works, it actually is proven you don't have any faith at all because the gospel actually begins to do something in our hearts. It, it changes us. It, it motivates us. It stirs us. It kind of compels us in all of these different ways. And so if you are a Christian, you have been created in Christ, it says, in Jesus, if you are a believer, for good works, that there are things that God has called you to do before the very foundation of the world that actually can make an impact in the kingdom of God at large. And I hope that this series actually kind of fires us up for that a little bit because I hope that we begin to see, man, we don't have to be the name that everybody knows. We don't have to be the people that everybody has heard of, right? Like I love even the sermon series, the bumpers that we'll do before coming up. Like, man, some of y'all may have never met Danuta, right? Some of y'all may have never actually even interacted with her well and, and people in California aren't like reading some book that she wrote because she didn't write a book, right? But she is serving and she is making a place for you and for me to worship our God. God. And even though that there are names that we have never heard of globally, our king knows those names. In fact, they are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He knows every single thing that we do. And so I hope that you feel like you can make an impact in the kingdom of God today right? Like God's not waiting for a future version of you to do something. He wants to use you right now because the exact same Holy Spirit that has been put in Paul as an elder or me or, or Josh or Mary is the exact same Spirit of God that is dwelling inside of you that wants to use you to make much of his beautiful and glorious name. I'm already ready to fight and we're three minutes in, right? Like, man, you are called, friends, for good works. God prepared them and I hope that you see that you can walk in those, that you can walk in those. Second, Secondly, uh, I hope that what this series does is kind of cast a vision for where uh, we believe that God is calling us to go as a body in different ways. As we kind of continue to grow and as we continue to push back darkness in this city at large, we hope to kind of cast a vision as to where we are going as a church and how you can kind of actively get involved within that. Because as a people gather together, God uses the local church for the redemption of the world. And it is often through local churches that uh, the king is is magnified in these beautiful ways. And so we hope that individually it stirs you up, but then also collectively it stirs us up that we would see what God is calling us to long-term because, man, we hope to send out more missionaries. In fact, I believe that some of you in here right now are supposed to be overseas long-term. And in six, seven, eight years, as God keeps preparing you and working on your heart, he's going to call you into that and you go. I think that we have more elders. I think we have more church planters. I think we have more ministry leaders and disciple makers and, and effective gospel sharers, that God wants to use you to make an impact and then use us collectively to highlight what he wants to do to see uh, us grow in all of those awesome ways. And so uh, we're going to highlight some of the things that we are wanting to see as a church. Each of these characters are something that we want to see happen inside of our body. And then just straight up, things that we need as a church, which is what one of the sermons will be about today, is just things that we just need as a body at large. And so I'm excited to dive into the series. I hope it fires you up to really see, man, you have been called by Christ. You can do something beautiful for the name of God, even if your name isn't known. And that's what we're going to look at today. The first unsung hero It's a beautiful character named Hananiah, which is found in the book of Nehemiah. Now, before we get to Hananiah's story, I actually want to walk through the book of Nehemiah as a whole so that we have the good background as to what we are doing here. So uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to pick it up right there in the very beginning of verse 1, and we're going to kind of give a, an overview of this book because then it will make Hananiah's work make a lot more sense to us. And so it says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, 
Now it happened in the month of Shizlev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked him concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so Nehemiah saw a problem in Jerusalem, and during this time what was happening is that the Jews were in exile for disobeying God. And the process of being exiled by the Babylonians, their city was rampaged in effect. So they were taken in as slaves, and the temple was desecrated, the homes were destroyed, everybody was pulled out, and the city wall had been broken down, so it was a, a desolate city without any wall. However, under Daniel and other men and women's kind of leadership, uh, they began to call people back into uh, Israel, back into Jerusalem to reestablish as a nation. However, as those people who had escaped the exile, as you see there, they're going back into Jerusalem. As they come into the city, they realize that bad boy was in terrible shape right? Like it is not just like a home that you buy and fix up and then flip and sell for a lot more. Like it's going to take a lot of work to build this thing back up, right? And so there were no walls, which meant that even the people who did want to go back could not begin to rebuild as a nation. Because if you think in that culture, without any walls, anybody can just come in and you don't have an army, you're not a people, you don't have resources, and they can just rampage you once again. And they can take you captive once again. So there was an inability to even build as as a nation again. Now, it would be tempting for us to look at a verse like this and go, oh yeah, it's awesome, and just kind of see it as a, a, a historic people that are trying to become a nation again, and, and we can be disassociated with this story. However, this story is of wild importance to us as Christians because if the Messiah of the world was going to come, then it required that Judah and Jerusalem was reestablished as a nation and as a people because the promise of God was that the Messiah, who would save the world from sin, who would undo the curse of the world. He was going to come through the line of Judah. And so if Judah was going to be established to be a people to bring the Messiah, then it had to be protected in order to be able to do that. You following that? And so it's actually not disassociated from us. It's actually really important. It's actually instrumental to our faith in a lot of ways. Salvation of all of humanity was dependent on if these people could come be a nation again because it looked really, really bleak when we start off this story. It looked like there was an impossibility to be a people again. They had been uh, rampaged too much. They had been separated too much. How in the world was God's promise for the redemption of humanity actually going to play itself out? It just looked like it wouldn't, y'all. And so this is what Nehemiah is grieved over. Nehemiah saw the problem, and in order for God's plan of redemption to happen throughout human history, they would have to do something that felt very non-spiritual, build a wall, right? And I'm not making any political statement here, by the way. I just, I heard how that sounded, all right? I have like five jokes, and I'm leaving it right there, all right? And so they were building a wall around Jerusalem to protect the city, all right? And so then in chapter 2, uh, Nehemiah explains the problem to the king, which, by the way, could have gotten him killed. The king does not care about Jerusalem. He is not a Jew, right? And so there's no real care, but Nehemiah is bold. He explains the problem to the king, and he says, hey, we need to reestablish as a people. And then in chapter 2, verse 8, uh, he says this. Or I'm sorry, starting in verse 7. 
It says, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. The king had no reason to grant this. It benefited him none to be able to do this. However, if God is present with us, then who can stand against us? Amen? As we often sing as a people. God's hand was upon him. And so there was nothing that was going to stop. And God is now, you can see, starting to orchestrate the situation so as to make sure that his plan of redemption actually unfolds. And so what happens is Nehemiah then begins to gather and rally the people and say, hey, the king's going to give us supplies. Let's go back. Let's start building this uh, wall around our city again. Let's go repopulate Jerusalem. But then in chapters three and four, Nehemiah faces wild opposition because friends, whenever you are walking in what God has called you to walk in, you will face opposition just straight up right? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes it is physical opposition. Sometimes it is spiritual warfare. Sometimes it is people that are against the cause of Christ and what God is calling us in to do to push back against what is happening. But as darkness starts to get pushed back, friends, it is going to resist, right? And so we see this opposition happening. Now listen, there are seasons of rest and man, hallelujah, praise God for that. And so you may be walking in exactly what God has called you to walk in and you may not feel a whole lot of opposition right now. And we bless that and we pray that over every single one of us, right? However, we have to know, be ready, and understand that as we're walking in what God has called us to, there's going to be opposition. And so that's what's happening here. They're building the wall and there's all this opposition. Nevertheless, there's a ton of faithful people who are kind of building the wall along with Nehemiah. And in chapter 4, verse 16, we see this. It says, from that day on, Half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had a sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. And the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. And so we labored at the work, and half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. Like, think about this, especially there in verse 16 and 17. How in the world do you do this, right? Now, your boy is not crafty with his hands whatsoever. Don't ask me to build something. I will ruin your whole house, right? <laughs> However, it seems to be really, like, peculiar to me that somehow they were able to have, like, a, a brick and, and a hammer and the little thing that you, like, you know, smooth out cement with, whatever that thing's called, right, in one hand, and then they had a sword in the other hand. How do you effectively do the work like that, right? Like, it takes two hands to do anything, but, man, here they are. They are facing so much opposition that they can't even work freely. Their work is literally cut in half, and yet they were loaded in such a way, and they were faithfully laboring in such a way that even though they were only at half their full capacity, they were still serving God faithfully and they were building up what God had called them to do. And even though opposition was trying to come against them, it could not because as verse 20 says, once again, God's hand was with them. 
You see God orchestrating this whole thing over and over and over again. And so in chapter 5, what happens is you actually see Nehemiah's faithfulness start coming out. He's not taking bribes. He's, he's being really gentle. He's not even eating the food that's given to them. He's giving it back to the people. So there's all this sacrifice from him. And then in chapter 6, you see more opposition. Because as you serve God, opposition will come, friends. I don't want us to be confused about that. Don't be surprised when the fiery trials come upon you, Second Peter says. And so we got to realize that. However, because of the people's hard work and faithfulness and Nehemiah's faithfulness as a whole, we read this in chapter 6, verse 15. It says, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul uh, in 52 days. They built the whole wall around a whole freaking city in 52 days, right? Now, once again, I am not a builder, okay? But that seems wildly efficient and effective, right? Like, I don't see houses built in 52 days, right? And they built this whole wall to protect enemy armies. Like, not just a wall that you can kind of push over and it falls down. Like, a wall that enemy armies couldn't come through in 52 days. Because God's hand was upon them. And even though oppression was pushing back and they had a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other, they were still effective at getting the job done for God was with them. And this is what God was calling them to do. Nehemiah felt the conviction. They walked in that. And so then in chapters 8 through 13, you see the finishing of that. And you see them literally uh, being a faithful people. They start reading the Bible again, which they hadn't been able to do for now uh, hundreds of years right, as they were in captile and, or, ca- or ca- capture, as they were in exile, uh, they were unable to read the word, and man, all of a sudden, they're able to do this again. They, they reestablish, and they began to, through this effort, come back into Jerusalem, and by that work, they literally paved the way for the Messiah, friends, because the book of Nehemiah, even though it's tucked about halfway through the Old Testament, it's actually the second to last book finished behind the prophet Malachi, and so they literally paved the way for the Messiah, for they got brought back into Jerusalem. Jerusalem, and then out of that, we read in John 1, all of a sudden, man, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Because the people of Israel were established, and they were able to look for the coming Messiah again. And so this is the book of Nehemiah. And you say, man, that's awesome. I feel like I've heard of Nehemiah, though, before. Like, like where's this unsung hero, right? Well, here he is. There's this one verse tucked right in the middle of the book as to what is happening, as to Hananiah and why he is important in this story at large. In uh, Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 2, it says this, I gave my brother Hanani, and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. In the middle of opposition and trying to keep the plan of God, Nehemiah needed someone who could protect the city, There's the castle portion. He was in the castle. And then who could help lead the people? He's a governor, right? He governed the people. Nehemiah actually had a job as a cupbearer in Susa, the capital. And so he had to go back to his normal job. And so he actually left Hananiah in charge and essentially uh, started doing what Nehemiah was doing, protecting and then governing the city. He was a protector and he was a builder. And he picked Hananiah. Why? Because he could sing and was super winsome like Mary. No, right? Because he was like funny and a good communicator like Josh? No, right? Because he was a tall, handsome, mocha latte skin color, good pastor, great elder, like some dude in California? No, right? That's not why he picked him, right? It says that he picked him. Some are like, why is that funny? It'll catch up to you soon, right? He picked him, why? Because he was a faithful and a God-fearing man. 
this is. That's why he picked Hananiah. In fact, what you actually see about this character is that he's scattered throughout this book as a whole. You don't have to turn here. They'll be on the screen. But in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 8 is where we first hear about him. Uh, and it just says this really simply. Next to them, and then it names a whole bunch of names, right? Uziel, the son of uh, Hariah, the goldsmith repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired. And so here he is just helping repair the wall. And then in chapter 3, verse 30, it says, And after him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaph, and on and on. It just says they repaired, right? So here he is. He's just a faithful guy that is doing the work like everybody else is doing. There's really nothing stand out about him early on in the book. And then what we actually see is that through his faithfulness, because he loves God and he's faithful to what God's called him to, Nehemiah recognizes his faithfulness and raises him up to be a leader. However, then in the end of Nehemiah in chapter 12, in verse 12, it just says this, and in the days of Jehoiakim, where the priests, heads of the father's houses, and look, there's Hananiah once again, just kind of tucked away. And if you turn to chapter 12, you'll just see hundreds of other names that's mentioned along with Hananiah. And then it ends, the last time we see him is in this. Verse, chapter 12, verse 40, it says, So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and the priest of Eliakim and Messiah and all the, right, Micaiah, there's my daughter's name in there, Zechariah, and look, Hananiah with trumpets. So the dude was just back to being faithful again. In fact, he was in the choir. So he was a faithful man who loved Jesus and can sing like KC, right? And this is who we have here, Hananiah, right? Just this feeling normal guy, right? A name you can so easily skip over, all really brief mentions, but hello, he's in the Bible, all right? Like he's in the Bible recorded for all of human history and we're now reading about him thousands of years later. And why is he in the Bible? Why is he highlighted? Why is he picked to be a protector and a builder? Because he is faithful and he loves God. He walks out in what God has called him in. He's faithful and he loves or he fears God, it says. Just so that we're all on the same page, to fear God would be really easily translated to kind of just to love God. It's really to be in awe of God. What that word fear means, we obey him because of who he is. We submit to him because of the realities of, of what he's done. And our understanding of God kind of creates this deep intimacy, this deep zeal, this deep love for God. And then, man, he's faithful. In fact, if you go to chapter 7 one more time, I love what it says about not just Hananiah, but about all the people at large, probably partly because of Hananiah and Nehemiah's leadership. In verse 3, right after it mentions his faithfulness, it says, and I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are still standing guard, and let them shut and the barred doors appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. This is actually an astounding phrase. We just read that the whole wall had been rebuilt, but no houses had been rebuilt yet. Why? Because the people were more focused on doing what God had called them to do first before they were focused on their own affairs and building up their own houses. You following that? How often can we say the same thing, just transparently, where we are more focused on what God has called us to do than we are focused with building up our own affairs? What tends to happen is we think about our own house first, and then after we get that established, then we say, okay, God, now I'm ready. 
right? Now we can be used, but not these people, not Hananiah, not Nehemiah. They were doing what God had called them to do first. He clearly put a call on Nehemiah's life, and the Jews rallied around that, and they were focused on building up the house of God first, and then they would start building their house, as we see later in this book at large. And so, boom, he picks Hananiah. He's a faithful man who loves God. He's actively living out on what God has called him to live out. In fact, uh, S. Michael Hoodman, who's the founder of the site gotquestions.org, which is actually a really great resource, by the way, if you ever have questions about the Christian faith and, like, you don't understand something, you can go there, okay? He says this. He says, when a person walks consistently with God in humble service to him, he or she can be called faithful. When Nehemiah had to leave Jerusalem to return to Persia, he put Hananiah and Hananiah in charge. The reason for his choice was that these men were more faithful and God-fearing than many. Nehemiah needed men of character whom he could trust, men who would not take bribes, who were committed to the welfare of the people, and who would uphold the integrity of the office. Notice also that faithfulness is associated with fearing God. The better we truly know God, the more we will want to imitate him, as Ephesians 5, 1 tells us. And so being faithful, walking out of what God is calling us to do, is actually driven by this intimacy, by this deep connection, by this knowledge of God. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, it would say that the love of Christ compels us ultimately to be missionaries, to live for his name. But it's the love of Christ that compels us. That's why last week's sermon was so important, and I would encourage you, if you didn't hear it, to go listen to it, because before we get caught up on thinking about how can we be faithful, what is God calling me to do, how can I walk in that, we have to love God desperately and deeply, and it has to be the foundation that we build everything else around. We have to have this deep intimacy with our Lord, with our King, with our Maker, and then the love of Christ will compel us into what he's calling us into. And so Hananiah was used by God in this awesome way, literally preparing the way for the Messiah, friends. This is a beautiful, beautiful truth, right? What happens is in chapter 3, we see him being faithful in the small things. And then because of that, Nehemiah brings him up and he becomes faithful over even that much more which is actually a principle of our Lord, right? In fact, in Luke chapter 19, verse 17, will also be on the screen, but it says, and then he said to them, right, Jesus talking to these disciples, well done, good and faithful servant, right? You have been, or because you have been faithful in a very little, you should have authority over 10 cities. This is when we get to the kingdom at large. When we get to heaven, he will realize the small works that we have done, and then he will say, man, well done. Because you are faithful there, you will now be over cities, it says, right? You often have no idea the impact that you can make in other people's lives. You have no idea the weight that you are often carrying. In fact, you will hear this throughout the series at large that sometimes we can feel very, very small is actually a wildly significant thing. You are carrying something that is far beyond what you even believe. Hananiah had no idea that his faithfulness would ultimately lead to the coming of the Messiah and the salvation of humanity, but we're thankful for Hananiah, right? And man, we have no idea what may feel so small to you may be the biggest thing to our God. Are you faithful in what he's calling you to walk in? In fact, to even prove that point a little bit, I want to do something and totally going to embarrass some people, but that's okay. Uh, today's our four-year anniversary, once again, right? Six. Thank you. 
My wife was like, rebuke, right? Six, six, thank you, thank you, sorry. Because where I'm going with this is what I want to say is, man, there's been so many people who have faithfully served this church in such aggressive ways. So here's what I want to do, okay? If you've been here for four or more years, there's that number four came in, right? If you've been here for more than four or more years, all right, I want you to actually stand up right now, okay? And so stand up. If you've been here for four or more years, now please stay standing, okay? Please stay standing. I want you to look around a little bit, everybody who's not standing, okay? Out of the 200 and probably 25, 250 people that are in here, what we see is a total of like 12 people that are standing right now, right? And so all of a sudden, all of their sacrifice, all of their labor, all of those times they put those flags up in the rain and you were driving by like, who does that, right? All of their serving and children's, their pulling of the trailer, their discipling of men and women, the opening up of their homes, the leading groups, the faithful serving, the eldering, over and over and over again, it has literally created space for all the rest of us to not just come and know Jesus, which a lot of you have in the past year. Like I'm looking at some people who a year ago did not love Jesus and now you're singing here singing oh reckless or, 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 or whatever the reckless love song right and and you are loving God right some of you have never had the tight-knit community that you have right now but you're finding this intimacy this this family some of you are being discipled by all these people and four years ago there was straight up like 40 of us right and we were singing and and trying to plug away but look their faithfulness their sacrifice has made space for you right, for you, and what could feel small to them, like pulling the trailer, right, or like discipling women, or like leading in several different ministries, man, it can actually be massive. It can create space for your very salvation, for your intimacy with God, for the friendships that you have built and established right now. A lot of it is on the back of these people. In fact, can we give them like a huge like thank you, like for real. Y'all can sit down, sorry, thank you. Thank you for standing so long, right? I literally kind of like want to come down and like hug each person and then like fight at the same time. Like I'm just excited, right? Like look at what God can do in just four years. In just four years, look at how the Lord has taken that sacrifice and multiplied like crazy. What could God do if we are all faithful for the next four years? What would that look like? Like what are ways that we can actually see the king proclaimed in this city even more boldly, darkness pushed back, missionaries sent out, churches planted, your children being discipled and raised up and taken care of, you being loved and knit together. What would it look like if we were faithful, right? If we continue to strive within that, what often feels small, friends, it is not small. What often feels like, ah, but I'm not really recognized, right? No, 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 no. God sees you. God sees you, and even if nobody says thank you for all the labor that you put in, our God will look at you one day and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he will look at you and speak those words, and they will minister to your heart in ways that words have never ministered to your heart before. The love of your life telling you that he or she loves you, that promotion, that child being born, whatever it may be, nothing will minister to you as much as those words in that day, for he is pleased with our faithfulness, friends but he calls us to walk in it, right? To sacrifice, to push back. 
how much oppression has come on the church and the church has pushed back against it, has made space, and we can continue doing that in all these awesome ways. There are so many things that are happening right now, right? Josh being planted. We want to bring on another church planner before we even send Josh off. We have a team that's thinking about going overseas, possibly to Barcelona here soon. We have other people that are wanting to be missionaries in the wing. We have all these things that are happening in the church, and man, there is so much faithfulness. You have no idea, right, the small ways that you're doing things, how they can make an impact at large. And so this is what we see in the book of Nehemiah. This is what was happening with Hananiah. And he did it in something that felt just so non-redemptive, building a wall, right? And so, man, we can be faithful in what God has called us into. And so here's one of the things that we just straight up need as a church. It's the first thing that we're mentioning because it's the thing that I just, like, I hate that we have to do this, right? Because I just want to preach the freaking word, okay? And it's like, man, but there are needs. Here's what we know. What we know is that it was raining today, and yet there, besides in the spit zone, the front row, there are almost no seats left, right? We are literally outgrowing the space that we are in right now. And so, like Nehemiah, which is why we did this place, or this book first, we just straight up need, like, a building, okay? Like, like somewhere that we can meet, okay? And they're like, oh, my God, a building, yes, right? A building. We need something, a place that can kind of hold us as we expand to be able to host classes, to be able to do worship nights, to be able to have simple meetings, like, like discipleship meetings, or even just to build up, and then importantly, to have more people, because friends, there are people in this city right now who long to be a part of a family like we are a part of, and they might even know it, right? But as we open up, as we uh, grow, as we create space, then they can enter into those spaces and literally be loved by the love of God and by the love of God through each other as we are blessing people around us. In fact, some of y'all right now are like, you know what? We do need space. I believe that I'm sitting way too close to this dude next to me, right? (laughs) And it's just true, right? Like, man, we were just limited in some ways, but we want to see people come to know our king. And so one of the things that we know is that if we continue to grow at the rate that we've been growing at, then we'll will be over 500 people come about February of this upcoming year. Now, if you were here for Easter, then you know uh, that it was chaotic, right? And that was 525 people. And so welcome to every Sunday. And everybody prayed and fasted and saying, nobody got time for that, right? It was just chaotic in a lot of ways. And so we're saying, man, we actually would love to see us kind of have some space. And so right now, as a group of elders, uh, as staff, as leaders, we're just saying, man, let's just pray that that God would just provide like crazy a space for us. In fact, can I give you what we're praying for? I'm praying something very specifically. I'm praying that the Lord would actually use the king's resources like he did here in the book of Nehemiah and that we would just be given a building or that we would enter into a building at a wildly low rate so we can continue to not focus on a building but focus on making disciples and planting churches and sending missionaries and loving each other in this city with the love of Christ. That's what we want to focus on, right? But this will create the space, the ability to be able to even do that. And so we're actually just praying that God would provide in that. He did this all throughout the scriptures, right? If you look when they first built the tabernacle in Exodus, that wasn't their resources that built the tabernacle. That was Egypt's resources. In two weeks, we're going to be reading about how Jesus's ministry was not funded by Jesus's ministry. It was actually funded by King Herod's household. And so we see all the time God using the riches or the provision of somebody else to bless his mission and to begin to use that to make much of his name. Now, there are times the Jews sacrificed like crazy, building the temple with Solomon, and, and there, there, that was true too. But what we see so often is God just providing like crazy. And so, man, would you like straight up pray about that? 
Like, would you pray that God would just provide like crazy, you know, that he would provide in a way that we would be able to tell this story over and over and over again. And so there's a lot of options that we have with this, with this need. We want to uh, be in a place where we can grow into. Okay, it's a really important phrase there. We want to grow into this space. So we don't want to be at a space that like fits 500 and then immediately we go in and we're like, oh, now we need another building, right? And so we want to be able to grow into it in a lot of ways. Uh, man, we are fine with having our own building if that's what God kind of provides, right? Maybe uh, we we do like a long-term lease of some sort somewhere over here. Uh, maybe we can partner with somebody else who maybe would like run like a co-working shop or like a coffee shop or something that uh, can flip into an event center on the weekends for us to be able to use. And so we can kind of co-labor and partner in this way. Uh, whatever it may look like, there's several different options, but we just know this is a need of ours right now. And it feels like, friends, if I'm being honest with you, as a group of elders of staff, it feels like God's hand is like on this church and he keeps pressing and pressing and pressing. And so I just believe that like the book of Nehemiah, God's hand is upon us. And because of that, he will provide despite opposition, despite the city not wanting to give space to a church, right? Despite whatever it may be that we actually begin to see this kind of open up. And so this is kind of our hope in one of those ways, okay? Now, because of this need that we have, we actually need people to also step up in ways that you may be gifted in that others of us aren't. Like, I love reading and talking about the Bible, but if I were running, like, this new initiative to find a building, like, y'all, we'd be bankrupt, and there'd be a space that we would have that would fit 23 people because your boy does not know how to do this stuff, right? But some of y'all do. Some of y'all are architects or commercial real estate agents or builders or project managers where you can kind of help lead what we hope to be essentially a strategic initiative team. Strategic, we're trying to do something. Initiative, start a new initiative, have a a building that we can fit in long term and a team of people that would kind of come around and help us build at large. And so maybe you feel a spirit kind of tugging at you within that. Maybe you're like me and you're like, that ain't my gift at all. That's okay. We'll get back to that in one second, right? Because all of us can be a part of this. We're going to have qualifications around that, right? Like you have to love God and be faithful like Hananiah, right? You have to actually know what you're talking about, not just have zeal for this, but like know what you're doing within this. But we would love to have a team of people that is kind of looking uh, for us and with us and underneath the authority, the guidance, the blessing, the love of the elders that they would be able to run kind of within this. And so maybe this is your season to kind of step up and step out in faith, right? Like maybe God can use you in your gifting to actually be able to do this. Shoot, we may even approach some of you personally and ask some of you personally because we know your character and say, man, we think that you can help us within this. And so even if you are not a a part of that process, I think that we can all be a part by literally praying that God would give us a miracle, right? Because this church is awesome in so many different ways. We have beautiful community, a community group shepherds that sacrifice and love their CGs like crazy, volunteers that serve so faithfully, right? We have this beautiful diversity that's growing. We have this familial connection. But one of the things we don't have is a bunch of rich dudes. 93% of us are broke, y'all, right? And so because of that, we can all join together in prayer and just say, man, God, would you just provide something? Like, like, would you just provide something, you know? And we can ask and beseech God uh, on that behalf. This is what he often does. I also, I'll say this. I just have this feeling that one of y'all knows someone whose uncle owns some warehouse on East 5th Street that you can just ask and he would just be like, you know what, I'll give this to you. And he has no idea why he's doing that. And y'all are like, that's impossible. Hello, we just read about it in Nehemiah. 
Nehemiah went to the king and said, can you give me your resources to build this place that you don't even care about? And the king was like, sure, you can have all of it, right? Why? Because the hand of God was with them, it says. And so maybe, maybe you just know someone. In fact, maybe the Spirit's putting somebody in your mind right now that you might think, man, maybe this person knows something or, or has something that we can be able to move into. And so I don't know what it is, right? I don't know if it's an old church building. I don't know if it's partnering with other people. I don't know what it is yet. We've been praying about this, and there's been a little bit of movement happening, but we want to see something sometime soon. In fact, I would love to, by next September, be worshiping in there with y'all right? Singing about the reckless love of God out with our neighbors, with other people who long to be a part of this family who aren't right now. But as we make space for them, man, they are able to come in. And so here's what we're looking at. I'm going to put a map up just so you know where we're praying for and what we're looking through. This is our ideal, okay, location would be right within this shaded area, all right? There, that star is where we are right now, okay? And so we want to be along the 35 corridor. Why? Because we want to plant 100 churches and and to plant up and down the 35 corridor is the most effective way to reach Austin and places where churches are not right now. Hence why Josh is going to Southeast Austin just off of 35, on the east side of 35. Some of y'all live in South Austin. Some of y'all live way in North Austin. It's just easy to travel along that corridor. So we would love to stay close to that. We also want to stay right next to UT. The reason why is because the people that are on campus right now that just got drunk last night and are not thinking about Jesus are going to be our missionaries that are going over into the Middle East in six years because the gospel will come in, impact their lives, and they will be sent out, right? They're the ones that believe, man, they can do this, and they want to go, they want to run. So, man, we want to see a deep impact into that city at large. They will join our church plants. As we plant in other cities, they may move to those other cities to, to help plant, right? And so that's where we want to be ideal. The next slide, you can turn to the next slide real quick. Uh, this is our larger ideal, right? So that would be, the first one is our first ideal. This one would be like our secondary. Essentially what we did was we stretched it down south uh, of the river a little bit and then up to uh, 290 there up north. And so that's where we would love to be. Y'all are like, there ain't nothing in that space that costs under $6.4 billion. I know, I know. That's why one of y'all rich uncles need to do something, right? Or somebody that owns something needs to say, hey, man, we might not partner with a church, but we'll partner with somebody that will do like a co-working spot and a coffee shop, and, and we'll partner with that, and then we can use that on Sundays or something like that, right? And so that's what we are hoping. That's what we're praying for. And so I would love for you to pray and ask at large. That's where we are, and that's what we want to do as a church. But I also believe, friends, that like our brother Hananiah, we can protect and fight at the exact same time. We can build and fight. We can build and push back darkness. We can labor like this with one hand and like this with the other hand at the exact same time because that's how our God has allowed us to do things at times. We can build the ship and uh, sail the ship at the exact same time. You're like, how? It's on water. I don't know. Jesus walked on water, right? And so, man, this is what God is calling us to uh, do, I believe. And so within all of this, within as we're thinking about building and what God is calling us into, I do not want to lose our zeal to make much of Jesus, to make disciples, to send missionaries, which is why we're sending Josh before we have our own building, which is why before we even establish here, we want to do the work of God. Before we build our house, we want to focus on what God has called us into, just like in this book of Nehemiah. 
right? But now as the house is continuing to build, we also want to build our own space where we are able to establish long-term in hopes that we would be effective for what God is calling us into, which is the second coming of our King Jesus. See, like Nehemiah, they paved the way for his first coming. Friends, we can pave the way for his second coming, and we want to do that with zeal and with passion and with effectiveness. And so this is our heart. We would love for you to pray within that. We would love for you, man, if you want to help, if you like know this business, if you are able to do that, we would love to talk to you, right? We have an elder that's ready to help oversee this team at large. Man, we want to be a part of that with you. If you know somebody who knows somebody who's like, I'll give this to somebody who wants to plant churches, please tell us, right? We would love to walk in that. But this is what uh, we are thinking that is the next step for us as a church, is to have a space at some point soon. And friends, this is what I want us to not lose, though, in the midst of all of this. The reason why we did all that with Nehemiah and Hananiah beforehand, because I never want to lose our love of God, our fear of God, and our faithfulness in the process of thinking about something like this, right? Would we be a people who desperately, deeply, affectionately, fully love God with everything that's inside of us. What we talked about last week, would we love him just with deep zeal? Would we keep inviting more people? I don't care if we got to stand along the walls. Let's do that joint, right? Let's keep seeing people come to know Jesus. Let's keep pushing back darkness in this city and believe that God is co-laboring with us, that we can see what he's going to want to do in and through this church long term. Because four years ago, the 12 people that stood up couldn't have envisioned this. And I hope that four years from now, the 225 of us would not be able to envision what God has done. In fact, I pray that that goal of 100 churches planted would look pathetic. Like, I pray we would plant far more than that. In fact, I was just reading a book with a guy who has a vision that they're going to plant 1,000 churches in 40 years. It sounds crazy, but they're at number uh, 148 now, eight years in. Man, this is possible, friends. We want to see our king exalted, and that's what we're about. And here's how we can know and believe this fully, because who we are about to sing out to in a couple of minutes is somebody who is actually a greater Hananiah in a lot of ways. See, Hananiah was faithful, and he feared God, but we serve a king who was faithful to the point of death, even death on the cross. In fact, in John chapter 17, verse 4, Jesus actually says that he did everything that the Father had commanded him to do. He was faithful to all the works of God. And Jesus loved God deeply. He feared God fully. And yet Jesus died like he was a faithless one and like he hated God. Why? Because that's what we deserve, friends. But instead, Jesus paid that price for us, and then he gave us his faithfulness, his love for God, his righteousness, and that through that, we can now be like Hananiah and walk out in faithfulness, walk out in righteousness, love God desperately and deeply, and be faithful to what he has called us to do for the Holy Spirit now dwells inside of every single one of us, and he has something for us, a work that he prepared. Would we walk in that, friends? Would we walk in that? out of a deep love for our king and a zeal for our God. Man, let us walk in that. And so this is who we will always be as a church, a gospel people that is loving God and faithful to his call to the best of our ability. For Jesus loved us when we were faithless and he loved us when we did not love God, that we may walk in the beauty of this. I love you guys like, like crazy. I'm so excited to have another year right here with us. And I just believe God is doing something. I mean, would you pray? Would you be like Nehemiah, see the need? Would you pray? And let's just ask God to do something that uh, we actually kind of believe is impossible. Amen? Amen? Hey, I love you guys so, so much. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you. Jesus, you are worthy. God, I actually pray for those who do not know who you are. They do not know you as Savior and King. Friends, if that is you, man, you can join the mission of God right now. You can be a part of something that is so much bigger than yourself. He has called you in for a greater purpose. This is part of what it means to be a believer, is to be called to something higher, to something eternal. This is what he is calling us into. And by faith in Jesus, by saying, God, I want to love you, I want to fear you, I want to be faithful, I want to know you. I mean, you can have this relationship with God that will last forever. And God, for those of us who do know you, God, would we love you like wild? And would we be faithful to what you call us to do? As a church, would we be faithful as a people gathered? And as individuals, would every individual in here be faithful to what you have called them to do? Sharing their faith with their coworkers, making disciples at, on their campus, being, reaching out, loving, serving, blessing this community that your name will be highlighted for Jesus. You are more worthy than everything we can ever think of times 25,000 squared, God. You are worthy. Help us to believe that and even sing out about that. We love you, Jesus. And would you provide? Well, only you can provide. We're asking that as a group right now. Provide a space. Praise in your very beautiful name. Amen.